Well, it meant to be uh, windy tonight, and I thought it's hard to hear sometimes when we're praying in the tent, and it's far better to hear down in the polytunnel. So I thought, I was sitting all day uh, writing uh, for Sunday night, and I've just about finished for Sunday night, and uh, um, I'm going to call it the Proto-Evangelum, and it sounds very complicated, doesn't it? But it's, it's, uh, it's really one verse... Is meant to be the beginning of evangelism or beginning of the gospel, the very first gospel, and it's in the book of Genesis. So uh, I'll be explaining that again on Sunday night. So I was writing all day to tea time. I'm going to come out of tea time, I was sitting eating my dinner. And Willie had sent me a message. He says that we were here because there was uh, the stuff that was in the polytunnel. And with the wind getting up, and it's hard to hear maybe people praying and so eating my dinner also says you should bring a bible study tonight I'm going yeah thanks for the thanks for helping me out there Alison that was that's fantastic you know so uh, I just sort of thought right well we'll do that so look I'm just going to go as we're led here tonight and we're going to go through uh, a bit of a, a study and I'll see how far we get with this turn with me uh, to Luke's Gospel, please. Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 13. Chapter 13. Sort of thinking about this, and I'm going to speak on uh, time willing and God willing. The olive, the vine, and the fig. The olive, the vine, and the fig. Luke's Gospel 13, verse 6. And he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down while it cumbereth at the ground. And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now notice this. First of all, we have mentioned a fig tree planted in a vineyard. So there's the fig and the vine. Now, vines grow in vineyards, is that not right? Strange to plant a fig tree in the middle of a vineyard, isn't it? Well, we're going to look at this in a moment. So, really, the fig tree and the, and the vine, uh, the, fi- the vine were, was symbolic of Israel. So it symbolizes Israel through the scriptures. The fig tree symbolizes uh, initially Judah, but then more into what was known as the Jews. And we're going to look at uh, that in a moment too. But the olive that we're speaking of, we'll look at the olive as well, for it was another symbol of Israel. And the Lord Jesus here is speaking, and he's saying, there's a man who planted a a fig tree in a vineyard. And he says, he comes, and he says to the dresser of the vineyard, comes and he says, Take away this fig tree. These three years, there's no fruit on it. And I'm paraphrasing, and he says, take it out of the road. And he's told, look, give it another year until I dig about it, put the dung on it, and see if it'll grow, and see if it'll bear fruit. And if it does in the, the fourth, within the fourth year, well, that'll be good. And if it doesn't, well then, let's pull it out of the ground and uproot it. Now, what Jesus was speaking about here was the Jewish nation. The fig tree represented the Jewish people. And three years, Jesus had been ministering to the Jews, or in, if you want, Judea. And three years, they were bearing no fruit, save mainly in the north of the kingdom, or of the north of Judea, I should say, uh, where mainly most of the uh, the disciples came from. And Jesus' main ministry wasn't in Jerusalem, as many think. 
the most of his ministry was actually in around Galilee. That's the vast majority where his ministry was in, in Galilee. And now down, he's saying, I'm down into Jewry, J-E-W-R-Y. Three years you're ministering, no fruit on it, pull it up out of the ground, he says, and get rid of it. But he says, Give, leave it alone this year. And of course, on the fourth year, in the middle of the fourth year, as it were, they crucified him, no fruit. And it was pulled up out of the ground. A.D. 70, God even gave him about 40 years of grace. But A.D. 70, until then, they kept uh, their Judaism going in the temple. It, was a, it wasn't the true Israelitish Hebraic worship. It was a, a, a mixture of, uh, of Babylonish Talmudic worship. And by A.D. 70, God says, all right, I'll give you this space of grace. And he pulls them out of the ground. Titus, the Roman uh, general, uh, comes along and he, uh, he surrounds Jerusalem. And Jesus warns the believer and he says, for when you see the armies encompassed round about Jerusalem, and people think that's another thing away in the, in, the, in the future. And listen, there may be armies do that, but this is what Jesus was speaking about, the armies of Rome encompassing Jerusalem. He says to the believers, if you believe me and you want to be saved from this destruction, flee to the mountains. Flee to the mountains. So they get up and they would flee to the mountains and they would miss all of this that happened. And the people were starved. And the, there was hundreds of thousands of Jews where they died of starvation, of crucifixion, or whatever other disease and illness. And many were taken away. And today in Rome, you can see what's known as the Arch of Titus. And Titus was the prince who conquered it. And this was formed the way back then. And it's still standing in Rome today to commemorate for Rome their victory over what had happened in Judea at the time. And so Jesus is saying, listen, he's talking to the Jews because it says here in our reading, notice what it says in verse 10, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So he's speaking to the Jews here. And he says, you're the fig tree and you will be uprooted if there's no fruit. So on the three years he's been ministering, on the fourth year, they, they crucified him. And of course, they were uprooted then in AD 70. But we want to follow this a minute. Um, let's go away back to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. I'll have you flicking back and forward a bit. I'll try and give you an idea of where we are in timeline, if I can. Uh, I'll do it as as simple as I can as well. Isaiah chapter 5, please. And let's write on down to verse 7. I'll tell you what, let's read verse 1. Let's read from there first. Notice what it says. Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my well-beloved touching his vineyard. Now note that, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out stones thereof and planted it, the choicest vine, planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it. Doesn't it sound familiar? Notice built a tower. This This was Israel going in out of Egypt and this is Israel being placed in the Holy Land or Canaan Land. And the stones that he took out of it, with all the other nations, he pulled it up. It's like you renovating a rotavator out and digging out all the stones before you plant. And Isaiah's singing about this, or the Lord's given him this, and he's saying, this is what Israel were, the vine planted. And then he says, he's the choicest vine. And it built a tower. The tower was the house of David, the true line of kings that would come out of the tribe of Judah. And it says, and also made a wine press therein, and he looked, notice, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes. But look what happens, it brings forth wild grapes. Now, here's the thing. If if, you more, if you're taking notes, take this down. First, first, first Kings 
chapter 12 tells us, I mentioned it the other night, and I mentioned it on a regular basis, because I believe it's the key to open the all prophecy, is that um, there's the kingdom of Israel separate into two kingdoms, the house of Israel in the north, the house of Judah in the south. Okay, the house of Israel in the north, the house of Judah in the south. And if you watch this, he's saying here that there were wild grapes. The house of Israel become known as the vineyard of the Lord. Now, all of Israel are known, but then it becomes the house of Israel, the ten tribes, is known as the vineyard of the Lord. And then the southern kingdom becomes more known as the fig tree nation, Judah. In fact, you don't get the word uh, in the plural Jews, J-E-W-S, until you get the second Kings chapter 6 and verse 16. That's the first time you read of the word named Jews. And I've heard pastors, and I'm not saying it was, but one mentioned even up here a, a few weeks ago that Abraham was the first Jew. He was not indeed. There were no Jews in Abraham's day. It didn't even exist. He was a Hebrew. And then out of the Hebrews came Israel, Jacob Israel. We have Abraham the Hebrew he's called, the Hebrew, not the Jew, the Hebrew. And then he's, he's not even an Israelite. There were no Israelites existed here either in Abraham's day. Still weren't Abraham at Isaac. Isaac was a Hebrew, and he wasn't even an Israelite either because there still weren't any Jews or Israelites. And then Isaac had Jacob, who became known as Israel. So there's where it was from. So sometimes they say these things, and I wonder where they're coming from. And so he had, he's known as Israel, and from Isaac, there's 12 sons, the 12 patriarchs of the 12 families, and one of them is called Judah. And a derivative name after their really mainly the time of the split, they become known as Judah. A derivative name is Jew, J E W. And actually, the J and the Jew, I don't want to go into it too much because of too much to carry on with here. The J and the J-E-W for Jew wasn't even invented into the English language until the days uh, of William Shakespeare around that time. It was actually an I because the Hebrew is Yoidos or Yehudi. You see, so people were saying Abraham was a Jew or Moses took out the 12 tribes of the Jews. There was one tribe of the Jews, if you want, or one tribe of Judah. And they came under a religious form, which was Hebraic Israelitish worship as God had progressed it. Now take note of this. Here we have in, in, in Isaiah 5, that brought forth wild grapes, the northern kingdom of Israel first go into captivity. And they're known as the vineyard, they're the wild grapes. But when you get to Romans 11, they become gentilized. When you get to Romans 11 and the grafting in again, it's not just, well, there's all Gentiles or non-Jews. No, these are gentilized Israelites. Because James even says in James 3 that, in fact, let's turn to it there. Just read this verse. I want to get it right with you. James chapter 3. Let me see if I can find it now. James 3 and 12, I think it is. Notice, can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? In other words, they're, 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 you, can't, you can't put an apple tree into an orange tree and expect to still get apples out of the orange tree, or vice versa. It has to be of the one people, of the one sort. So notice here what, because James is writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, by the way, at this point. So here's what I'm saying. Let's go way back in time. Israel are separate into two kingdoms. There's now a wild grapes, which is the northern kingdom, who will be carried away captive. And then let your eye run down to verse 5. It says, Now go to, I will tell you what I will do with to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. In other words, it's going to be judged, and the enemy will come in. Assyria comes. And Babylon to the south. Assyria comes to the north, Babylon to the south. And I will let waste, it shall not be pruned nor digged. Notice that. 
but there shall come up briars and thorns. You know what they done? They, they took the house of Israel away and they planted it with peoples of other nations round about who became known as Samaritans. And hence in Jesus' time, you have this name of Samaritans. And those, they, they basically, so as a nation or the people that were left or the remnant couldn't revolt, they placed other nations among them to water them down. Notice this, I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, what does it say, is where? The house of Israel. That's the northern kingdom. Notice this, and the men of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, is his pleasant plant. And they look for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Okay, hope everybody's with me here. So the two kingdoms, house of Israel and the house of Judah. In Jeremiah 31, when they're both taken away captive and then Judah comes back, a remnant comes back under Nehemiah and under Ezra and the walls of the temple are built and the temple's restored and the worship's regained there, uh, Zerubbabel's temple uh, and all of that is happening. Well, before that all happened, the 70 years before their Babylonian captivity, Jeremiah is prophesying. And Jeremiah says that the Lord says he will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, mentioning these two kingdoms. And he says it's not, the, you can write it down because we haven't time to go into it, not the same as the covenant I made with their fathers in the wilderness where he wrote the commandments on stone, but that I will put my law in their inward parts and in their minds. And listen, where is the commandments and the law of God in you and I tonight? It's in our hearts, isn't it? It's in our minds. Exactly what he said he would do is what he has done. So now let's, let's go on a wee bit more. Go with me to, on back to Psalm 80, please. Psalm 80. And let's go to verse 8. Notice. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Isn't that what Isaiah said the Lord had done? So the Lord has done this already by the time we get to Isaiah in chapter 5. Let your eye run down to verse 14. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine. And the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted, and, hath, and the branch hath thou made us strong for thyself. So here is the vine out of Egypt. That's Israel. God has planted it. Okay. And now there's a split because of uh, a sin, if you want, and because of uh, Israel's revolt against God. And there's a split in the kingdom to the north and the south, southern kingdom. And when we get to uh, Jeremiah 5, he's speaking about, Lord, you've planted this place, but there's now wild grapes. The vineyard has the grapes, and that's the northern kingdom. So, is everybody with me still? Everybody okay? Okay. So, go with me to Jeremiah chapter 2, please. Jeremiah chapter 2. If you can keep that sort of in your mind, these two kingdoms vineyard and then the figs later the vineyard and then the figs Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 21 notice yet I had planted thee a noble vine a holy right seed how then art thou turned to a degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me for though thou wash thee with nitre and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before thee, saith the Lord. So he's saying then, he says, you were before me as mine own vineyard, mine own plant. But look, you're, you're, you're a degenerate plant now. You've fallen away and your sin's on you. And that's how God's seen us, isn't that right? Until he saved us and washed us in the blood of Jesus. Now, stay with me if you will. Um, go to Hosea Chapter 10, please. Now, Hosea is prophesying, and I keep mentioning these because I want you to keep, the more you hear them, the more you'll get to understand them, the more that'll be in your mind. 
Hosea chapter 10, please, and verse 1. Now, Hosea is before the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, before it is taken into captivity, okay? And he's prophesying to them to turn away from their wicked ways. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 1. Notice Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. In other words, they're selfish, they're sinful. According to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars, that is, altars the other gods. According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. Their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. He shall break down their altars and he shall spoil their images. And so you see how the Lord says that you're now an empty, an empty vine. Now in John chapter 15, by the time the Lord Jesus comes, in John chapter 15 and verse 1, here's what the Lord says. There are six I am's in John's gospel. And one of the I am's, um, sorry, seven I am's in John's gospel. And one of the I am's, uh, the Lord Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true. What he's saying is, I'm the true Israelite. I am the noble vine. I am that one. And hence when he comes and his father uh, warns him, I uh, don't want to go into this too much, but warns Joseph to take the baby into Egypt. And he says, I've called my son out of Egypt. He was thinking away back to the Israelites. He's saying, I've called my son Israel out of Egypt. And now Jesus is doing that which Israel should have done. He's keeping that which Israel should have kept. And so he goes into Egypt until Pharaoh dies. Or pardon me, not Pharaoh, Herod dies. And he's brought back out of Egypt into Canaan land again. Can you see the parallels here? It's running here. So Jesus is he who kept the law we could not keep. And the one who lived the life we should have lived. And hence he's the one who could die in our place instead. Because he is the true vine, the noble vine of the Father. And hence you and I in him is where we bear fruit. And so we have to abide in him. So if we want to be not wild grapes, but good grapes, and grapes which bear that, uh, as, as it were, can be crushed and made for use and be fruitful, we have to abide in Christ. We have to abide in Christ. Okay. Let me see, where will it go? Let's go to uh, chapter 17 of Isaiah. So we're looking at the vine there. That's the vineyard. And of course, we, we mentioned that in, in, in Luke's gospel as our opening reading. Um, go to chapter 17. Now, notice this. The, the, the Lord is, is warning that Syria and Damascus would one day be a ruinous heap. Now, I, I, that's something else for another time. I've already spoken that before years ago. But notice, it's in, in 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse 6, the first name of Jews, J-E-W-S, the Jews are fighting. They're at war. Do you know who they're at war with? Israel. People say they're all the same. They're not. They're at war with Israel. Read it yourself. So they're, they're more, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom are at war, and Syria comes down to help the northern kingdom against uh, the Jews. So they're at war with each other. Now, notice this. If you let your eye run down, uh, what did I say? Isaiah 17 and verse 6. Yet gleaning of grapes shall be left, notice grapes is off the vine, shall be left in it as the shaking of an olive tree. Now what does that mean as the shaking of an olive tree? Two or three berries in the top of the uppermost bough, four or five in the outmost fruitful branches thereof, saith the Lord God of Israel. Now, what does the Lord mean? So we've looked at the vine, but if we're going now look at the, the olive, we've looked at the vine. And what does it mean? Uh, yet gleaning a grape shall be left in it 
as the shaking of an olive tree. So first of all, Deuteronomy chapter 20, please. Listen to what it says here. Deuteronomy chapter 20. And that's where I run down. Sorry, 24. Deuteronomy 24. And that's where I run down to verse... Let me see, 20. Notice, when thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs. Again, it shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widows. When thou gatherest the grapes of the vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterwards. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. So what the Lord was saying here in the law of Israel... When you come up to your olive tree and you beat it, you beat the tree to shake the berries out, the olive berries. So whenever you're, you're beating the tree, once you beat it and there's still olives in it, leave it alone. It's for the others, strangers, non, those who were even of, of non-Israelite background that were maybe poor, they could come in and, and glean off it and eat. So the Lord was thinking all around here. And he says, don't beat it a second time for what is on the tree is for someone else. Okay, so that's, don't beat the, the, the olive berries out until they're extinct, extinguished. And then he says the same for the vineyard. When you've gleaned of the vineyard, if you see another, some, berry, or some grapes here and there, leave them for the poor. And what happens here in Isaiah 17, the Lord says, Yet gleaning of grapes shall be left in it, the shaking of an olive tree, two or three berries in the top of the uppermost bough, four or five in the outmost fruitful branches thereof, saith the Lord God of Israel. And the Lord says, When I come, listen, in judgment, when the enemy comes, there's going to be some olives, some Israelites, some grapes, some of the northern kingdom. These are all symbols of Israel. He says, they will be still in the land. They will be left behind. They will be here when the enemy takes them all away. Go with me, if you will, to the Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. And Verse 1, hear ye this, pardon me, hear ye this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. Now take this, notice this. Now remember I told you the other day, Amos is a prophet from the southern kingdom who goes to the northern kingdom to prophesy against the northern kingdom. And this is what he says, the virgin of Israel is fallen, she shall no more rise So there's going to be no more kingdom. It'll be over. Notice, she is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. So the Assyrians are going to come and God's going to use them as a weapon of judgment to remove them from the land. Verse 4, for thus, pardon me, verse 3, for thus saith the Lord God, the city that went out by a thousand shall leave an hundred, and that which went forth by an hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. Notice, So if a city goes out captive, every thousand is taken out, a hundred will escape. Every ten in in maybe a village or a countryside is taken out, uh, out, pardon me, out of every hundred will be ten. So out of every thousand will be a hundred, out of every hundred will be ten. That's the tithe, the tenth. A hundred is a tenth of a thousand. Ten is a tenth of a hundred. And the Lord in the judgment was leaving the gleanings of grapes. He was leaving the olive berries, not to beat the brow again, the olive tree again of Israel, to extinguish, he says, but as a kingdom, the northern kingdom would never return. As a kingdom, and they have never returned. Now, he's not speaking to the southern kingdom here. He's speaking to the northern kingdom. And so this gives the idea that the enemy will come in and there will be those that will escape. Now listen, there are some people, in fact, someone once said not so long ago, and they've done a little video, and uh, they said my name, and they said, 
or video. He says that the northern kingdom of the ten tribes of Israel, he says that they were they never returned, and they what's known as the amalgamation theory is where they all when the southern kingdom were taken away too. They all got together and they all became called Jews. That's what he believed. That's not what the scriptures say. But notice this, they say, so he says this, and yet Anna of Asher is in Luke chapter 2, and she was from the northern kingdom. And basically he said, see, I've got you. Let me fix that for you, okay? Let me disabuse you of such nonsense. Will you turn with me, please, to... Trying to remember where it is now. Turn with me, please, to I think it's Second Chronicles chapter thirty. Remember, I'm doing this without notes, so forgive me. Second um, Chronicles chapter thirty. So, who knows what a remnant is? It's a bit left over, isn't it? If a remnant of a piece of fabric is left over, it's it's the wee bits left over. Okay. So. Let me tell you what's happening. You can read the chapter 30. You can read it when you go home. But Hezekiah is the king in Jerusalem in Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom have been taken away. Now remember, we're thinking of Anna of Asher who came from the northern kingdom. And this is 700, or, oh, 700 years later, Anna's there. So they must all be there. By, now notice this. Hezekiah is the king in Jerusalem, in Judah, and he sends out postmen throughout that whole territory of what was known as Israel, and he sends out postmen with letters to come to Judah, into Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Come back to your God. Now, if they're not all, if they're all gone, who's he sent it to? But remember, there's gleanings of grapes. Remember, there's a tithe left behind. A thousand, there'll be a hundred. Out of a hundred, there'll be ten of cities and towns. And that's what we read in the scriptures, isn't that right? So notice here in Second Chronicles 30, um, Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, notice, and wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh. That's the two main tribes of Joseph's sons that were in the northern kingdom too. That they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. Now you can understand if someone thinks, ah, oh, well, you see, there they all are there. Let's read on here. Um, and just for time's sake, he sends out postmen. Notice verse 6. So the posts went out with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah, and according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to you. Now note, the remnant of you that are escaped, that's who he's writing to. This is the shaking of the olive leaves, this, uh, the olive tree. This is those who were left behind. This is the tithe of the thousand and the tithe of the hundred. Okay, this is the grapes that are still on a vine. The remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. And be like, not like your fathers and your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers. Therefore, give them up to desolation, as you see. Now let your eye run down, and it says here in verse 10, So the post passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Nassim to Zabulon, and they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Nevertheless, divers of Asher, that's where Anna's from, various ones who were left who had escaped from Asher. Listen, we think of the, for example, the Ukraine war and the people that's escaped. It's the same. People have got away. People are in hiding. It's the same. Nevertheless, divers of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes and the word of the Lord. So, there we go. That answers the problem of Anna, Anna of Asher, if anyone ever wants to know it. Now, Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, please. And notice what he says. Verse 4. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live, 
northern kingdom now, seek ye me and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord and ye shall live, lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph. Remember I told you Ephraim and Manasseh were Joseph's sons? So the house of Joseph is the northern kingdom too. It's, a different, it's the same people, just a different name, okay? And there be none to quench it in Bethel. So here the Lord saying, you have to seek me, but don't seek Bethel. Now we think of Jacob and Bethel, where the Lord appeared unto Jacob. It's not right in the staircase and the pillow and all that sort of stuff. Well, what they had done in the northern kingdom was they had, uh, they, they built golden, and they built big golden idols, one in Dan they put, and one in Bethel. And Bethel became a hub of idolatry. And the Lord saying, stop running to your idols. Stop going to bow down to statues and these calves, these bulls. He's saying, and don't be trying to run to Gilgal to get away far from this, because you won't get away from me, and you won't get away from my judgment. I'll cause you, if you seek me, and you turn from your wicked ways, he says then, I'll cause you to live. I'll cause you, not only nationally they could have lived, and when I think of, of today, if, and I, um, I could beat my head against that pulpit every week, if Britain was to turn themselves to the Lord instead of all the stuff they're doing, it causes to live. Okay. Let's go back to Let's go back to Isaiah 5 for a moment. Is everyone still with me all right? Is everyone still with me? Okay. So in verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant, and they look for judgment, but behold oppression, for righteousness, but behold a cry. So again, Matthew 21, Mark 12, and Luke 13, okay? Here he speaks of the vineyard in the New Testament, and he speaks of the Lord being the one who planted it. Go again to Luke 13, please, if you, if you will. Now, before we close this, because I know time's flying, we've looked at the vineyard, we've looked at the olive. In fact, I'll tell you what, before we do, because there's something I want you to look at, um, go with me to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, while we're here. And... If I can remember where I am. Okay. Zechariah chapter. Hmm. Good to remember where it was, couldn't it? Remember the chapter it's in. Same thing, that's what happens when you do it without notes, isn't it? Okay, Zechariah talks about, I thought it was in chapter 14, but it's not. I'll, 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 I'll have to look that up. Sorry, I can't remember. Zechariah talks about the two olive branches, the two candlesticks, the olive ones. And these are the, the houses of Israel, north and south. Someone can find it for me, please shout it out. Um, the two olive trees and then again it's mentioned in the book of Revelation too and so you can see how the olive is Zechariah thank you Zechariah for my mind went blank I just couldn't I just couldn't think of it yes of course I was actually looking at it and uh, I was looking at something else and thought it wasn't that Notice verse, chapter 4, verse 1. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man is awakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What sayest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and the seven lamps thereon and the seven pipes to the seven lamps 
which are upon the top thereof. Now, some would point this towards the menorah, but there's two of these, okay. These are different. This isn't the menorah that you would see today. Notice, the two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. And I spake unto the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Notice, so the Lord is saying here, Do you not know what these two olive trees are? And he's saying, I don't know. So the olive is a symbol of Israel. The two kingdoms have been separated, one from another. And in, in Christ, and by the Spirit, they are the two that stand alongside of the Lord. In Christ, the two kingdoms, the, the saved out of the kingdoms. Um, okay, I'll not go any further with that. Let's go to uh, Luke 13 again. So we have a fig tree planted in a vineyard, and there's no fruit on it. Does anybody remember the day when the Lord has gone into Jerusalem? He comes to the fig tree, and he looks upon it, and he goes to get the figs of it, and there's no fruit. This is it. This is what the parable's about. And what does he do? There's no, fig, there's no figs on it, no fruit on it, and he, he curses it. So the next day they're walking by, and Peter goes, Lord, behold the fig tree which thou cursest. It's withered up and died in a day, in one night. Now, a fig tree could be up to 15 to 20 foot tall. Everyone thinks a fig tree was maybe about four or five foot. They're at least 15 foot tall. And the branches were hanging down. And Jesus went under to reach up to look at it, to pick a fig from it. There isn't any. He curses it, and it's withered. And that is what we're doing prophetically. He was shown this symbology that the Jews were going to be finished. And what he says to them is, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Now listen, everyone says that's the church. It's not the church. The church is the word ecclesia. That's what we use for church. The word given to a nation bringing forth the fruits is the word ethnos, people of the same ethnicity. And who was it? The scattered house of Israel. Same ethnicity. Jesus says, other sheep of I that are not of this fold. Isn't that what he said? Other sheep of I that are not of this fold, he said to those of, of Judah, of, the, of, of, of uh, the people that were around Jerusalem or Galilee at the time. He says, there's other sheep I have. And right through the pattern of sheep was Israel. The Lord is my shepherd. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Other sheep, I am not come but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then he says, I am come to seek and to save what? That which was lost. Lost. And hence he's saying, other sheep of I, which are not of this fold. Well, who is it, Lord? It's the ethnos. It's the other sheep of the kingdom which were scattered. And the gospel goes seeking. The gospel goes seeking Lost sheep. I'm a lost sheep. Well, I was, was a lost sheep. I'm a found sheep. You were a lost sheep, weren't you? You're a found sheep. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And Yahweh hath fled on Jesus, on him, the iniquity of us all. And hence, when Jesus died on the cross, Isaiah's prophesying of it, and all we like sheep are gone astray. So who did he die for? Did Christ die for you and me? Absolutely he did. And hence, you and I have that law written in our hearts. We're under that new covenant. When we break bread on the Lord's Day morning, remembering what he's done, 
And here he has gathered us back onto himself. Does that make sense? When we bring, break all this down? Okay. Let me look a little bit more at the figs and we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, go to Jeremiah 24. Jeremiah chapter 24. So remember, Jeremiah is the prophet before. So northern kingdom's gone. The, the, fig, or the vine is away. It's gone. There's only remnant there. It's the, the tithe is left or the, the, that which escaped is there. And in the southern kingdom of Judah... They're completely still intact, all but the, the 46 fenced cities of Judah, which was the borderline. We were talking about the border over, over here. Well, there was a border there, and they had 46 walled cities full of Judaites. And the king of, of Assyria came, took all the kingdom of Israel, and he swallowed up. He, he overtook all these 46 fenced cities as well, and he brought them into captivity of Judah with him, and they were all scattered. Notice now, all that remains that is there and intact of the house of Judah, Jeremiah is saying, you're now going the way which the northern kingdom went. And if you don't repent, God's going to chastise you and he's going to judge you by sending in the Babylonians. And hence we know that that happened. But look at chapter 24 of the book of Jeremiah. And the Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple of the Lord. Now notice where they're set. Two baskets of figs are set before the temple of the Lord. Why? Because this is God's house to bring them to God, but for God to look upon this. But for God to look upon this. After that, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captives, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah, with the carpenters and the smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. There's your captivity, right? Notice one basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe, and the other basket had very naughty figs, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. So we have good figs and very naughty figs. In other words, we had, if you want to put it into a language, good Judaites and very naughty or bad Judaites, or good Jews at the time and very bad Jews. At the time. So remember in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and in Revelation chapter 3, in both areas, the Lord says, There are those who say they are Jews and are not, or Judaites and they are not, but they are the synagogue of Satan. It's good and bad, you see? Good and bad. Now notice this, verse 3 Then said the Lord unto me, What seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs, the good figs, very good. And the evil, very evil, that cannot be eaten, they are so evil. And again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the, the, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah. So the good figs are the ones that are already gone, because they had taken the cream of the crop at this time. They took all of those that were of use. They took those who were good with their hands. They took those who were strong, that were healthy, that were well. They, so they took like a Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, young men, and they brought them away. And he says, they're the good figs. Because Jeremiah says, the Lord says, go into captivity because he's going to teach you a lesson. You're going to live in and you're going to put, put, uh, dig your gardens. And you're going to build your houses. And you're going to do all of that for 70 years. And he's going to bring you back to here again. But there were those that says, we're going to stay here because we're, we know more than God and we're going to fight. And of course... They were the bad figs that lost out. They were the ones that lost out. But notice here. For I will set mine eyes upon them for good and will bring them again to this land. And I will build them and not pull them down. And I will plant them and not pluck them up. And I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. For they shall return unto me with their whole heart. As for, these ev- as for the evil figs which cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Notice how the Lord's explaining this. In Revelation, he's talk- 2 and 3, he talk- calls them the synagogue of Satan. But here, 
He says, they're so evil you can't, couldn't eat these figs. You can do nothing with them. Surely thus saith the Lord, so will I give Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and his princes, and the residue of Jerusalem that remain in this land, and them that dwell in the land of Egypt. And we'll, we'll not go any further. He says they make him a proverb, a taunt, and a curse in all places whither I have driven them. Now you think about this. What has happened in every country the Jews have went to throughout history? The Lord says, these are evil, and this is what I, I'm going to, I'm costing them out of the road. You think of it, every country they went to. Every country. You think of even whenever it brought you right up to the, the Nazis. And the struggle between socialism and nationalist socialism, or if you want, communism and nationalist socialism there. And all of this was going on in the background, all of this. And the Lord says, these are so evil. And hence, they have, where every country they went to, they were a taunt, they were a curse, they were a byword, and so on. So, let me finish this. Go with me. Um, I don't think where I'm going to go. Let me just get the Luke 13. Day. I just want to maybe finish here. Why are you looking that up? When you go to the book of Genesis, right? You go to the book of Genesis, and Adam and Eve have sinned in the garden, and they realize they're naked. What do they do? They make what? They get fig leaves, don't they? And they make aprons. You see the connection? Do you know what that is? That is the works. Fig, fig tree religion, you could call it. Fig tree religion is covering ourselves. Fig tree religion is covering our sin. And hence, right up to the time, to the very the coming of the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to touch more on this, not this subject, but on more about the, these sort of things on Sunday night. But the Lord Jesus even said to the Pharisees, he says, you're off your father, the devil. No, he said, you're evil. Because you have taken the commandments of men and you have replaced the traditions of men and the commandments of men and you have, you have replaced the commandments of God and what he wants you to do. He says, you're off your father, the devil. And hence, whenever you see this, this fig tree religion is from the Garden of Eden in the fall. They sow the figs. And so the Lord now starts to say, you know what? There was a vineyard that was a noble vine and God took you out of Egypt and he planted you and he gave you. Listen, he made them from a, a, a man to a man and his wife, a couple, to a family, to a tribal unit. And then he brought them from there. He made them a nation. And then he made them a kingdom because they gave him the king. They weren't happy. They weren't happy. And God done all of that for them. And they still took all the gods in of everywhere else, of everyone else, and they worshipped other things, and God was away out of the nation, away out of the land. And it's the same in our nation today. It hasn't changed. It's the same today where we live. And people look with fig tree religion even. And even the fig tree religion came into the prosperity where they said, well, if you're rich, remember, the rich man comes to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And he says, well, you know, give all you have away, sell it to the, sell it to the give it to the, sorry, sell you have, give to the poor, come take up your cross and follow me. And he went away sad because he had much riches. Well, there's your prosperity. That's why, it was linked at the Jews with money. They always thought, if you were rich, that was the blessing of God and you were saved. But the disciple says, Lord, no, look at it this. Well, who then can be saved? This man here who's rich and he's well-known and he's popular, you know, and he's even asking you about religion, but if he can't be saved, and the poor people are going, well, we have no chance. And Jesus says, with man it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And that's why he's saying that. And hence you have this prosperity 
Even the prosperity doctrine, you have, if you're being blessed, I mean, listen, God has blessed me. I came to the Lord with nothing, as nothing, and he's blessed me. I'm, I'm not rich and I'm not prosperous in that way, but I've no need or want of anything. But the doctrine that if you're loaded rich, then that's God's blessing comes. That's why the Jews were always linked with money. You know, that sort of thing, you, you, you know, if they found a plaster, they'd cut themselves. You know, just because they're so miserable and tight. That's why. <laughs> because of these things. And the fig tree religion is, we, we, we can do this ourselves. And the temple was the same, but they became mongrelized. And it, it was everything that God said wouldn't save them. And that's when you get to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews tells you it was written specifically for those who came from the Judaized background. They're known as Judaizers, but from Judaism backward, background, and came and, and professed faith in Christ. And the reason the book of Hebrews was written was because of persecution. They're thinking, well, maybe I'll just go back to this religion again. It'll be easier for me. Maybe I can cover myself with this. And the book of Hebrews was written to say, listen, Jesus is better than Aaron, than Joseph, than Gideon, than Joshua, than the angels. And Jesus is greater than the sacrifice, than the priesthood of the temple. And that's why it was written. And it was, don't ever go back to the temple. And that's why I get frustrated when I hear of, of, of Judeo-Christians and, and they're saying we must help to build the temple. The Lord says, but that's why I wrote the book of Hebrews, that you wouldn't. Does that make sense to you? That you wouldn't build it. Why would you want to build a temple anyway if, uh, if you believe an Antichrist is going to sit on it? I not want to help him. If that be it. Does that make sort of sense to you? So it's all fake tree religion. And listen, all religion like that is fake tree religion. It's all cover up. But the only way that we are saved and covered up is how? By the blood of the Lamb. Do you see the power of the blood here? Do you see the power of the blood of Christ? It cleanses, it covers all of that. It cleanses all of that. And whenever we, we say, well, we believe in the blood of Christ, I, I fully, 100%, with all my heart, rely solely, only, uniquely, totally, and completely in the blood of Jesus and in nothing else. And when we say that and say, we believe in that, but we believe we can sacrifice animals again, you're going, but then you don't believe in the blood. You believe in that blood, not his blood. Let's keep our eyes on the cross. Let's keep our eyes fixed in Calvary. Let's keep our eyes fixed on the Lamb of God. Let's keep our eyes fixed in Christ. So there you have the olive, the vine. What was it? The fig tree and the fig tree. By the way, Matthew 24, and I'll not look at it, but you can read it and you go home. Jesus says that there'll be a time when the fig tree will appear again. I wonder when that was. Well, in 1948, the fig tree was brought into nationhood, wasn't it? It's shooting forth leaves. Remember Jesus walking into Jerusalem, shooting forth leaves? It started to shoot forth leaves in 1948. But there's really no fruit on it. There's no fruit. And he says when he comes back, I know people think it's going to be a glory day. When he comes back, it's going to be a horrible, horrific day for those who are not in Christ. And he talks about the fig tree blossoming again, but no fruit. Do you know what he said to the fig tree? He says, he said to the fig tree that it was cursed, no more fruit grow on thee from here and forever. Sometimes I wonder what, you see them on the, Christian chants. I wonder what Bible they're reading because Jesus says forever. How long are you saved for? Are you going to be saved forever? Is your salvation forever and ever and ever? Amen. Yes? So is mine. Yes? It's the same word. Jesus says you will not grow fruit on you forever. And unfortunately, 
That still remains the same. I know there's, there's individual people who are coming to Christ. Don't we all messianic Jews to call them, but really you're coming out of that. I understand that. Don't get me wrong. But in a national sense, there's no fruit. The only fruit there is found is a Calvary and abiding in Christ. John 15. Abide in me. He says, you shall bear fruit and your fruit shall remain. So there you are. Bible study tonight. God bless us all. I trust he's got something out of that tonight and it's maybe caused you to think. Um, I've sort of stretched your minds a wee bit. I know it's a bit of a timeline. I have this in my head. And thanks, Jeff, because I just couldn't get the... I couldn't remember where that was, that other script. Help me. Um, but sure, forgive me for it. Lord bless you.